This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. We have seen a recent push by companies to promote healthy behavior programs with a financial incentive incentive of some kind attached to it. Companies want this to occur because, in part, it can keep, uh, keep their employees healthy, but it also can help save on their health care costs. A recent study by doctors here at the University of Pennsylvania wanted to see if these ideas would work in the area of smoking cessation, but not just normal cigarettes. They looked at e-cigarettes, which are gaining traction as an option for uh, smokers around the globe. Dr. Kevin Volpe and Dr. Scott Halpern were the two men behind the research. Kevin is a director of the Center for Health Incentives and Behavioral Economics, as well as professor of medicine and healthcare management at the University of Pennsylvania and at the Wharton School. Scott is a professor of medicine and director of the Pear Center, Palliative and Advanced Illness Research at the University of Pennsylvania. Great having you both here. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure. Thank you. Uh, so I guess let's let's start with the research itself and, and why specifically the want to look at this, especially, I guess, with the interest where e-cigarettes are concerned. Yeah, so Dan, it's an interesting journey in terms of this study. We had done two major previous studies. One was among employees at General Electric nationally. The other was among CVS employees nationally and basically established that financial incentives can triple smoking cessation rates compared to usual quit rates. This led to benefit design changes among all employees at GE and CVS as a result of the research. And the research further highlighted some intriguing possible next steps. One in particular in the CVS study was we found that Employees who are given the chance to put some of their own money at risk, which they would lose if they were not successful in quitting smoking, uh, did phenomenally well. And this is with a generous match as part of participating in the study of roughly four to one. We found that actually 52% of those participants quit. Hmm. But the challenge with these types of approaches, which are really leverage a couple of behavioral economic concepts. One is the notion of pre-commitment. There are times when people are much more willing to focus on their future well-being than others. And at those times, sometimes you can take advantage of that. Like somebody joins a study and they say, uh, I'd really like to quit smoking, so I'll put some of my own money at risk. The other is really the notion of loss aversion, which, of course, is very well established in behavioral economics. If we can shift the framing so that people lose money for not doing something as opposed to gain money if they do something, that can be much more effective. But the challenge is that most people aren't willing to do it. So we only had 14% of people sign up to do that. So in essence, uh, that was one of the big challenges we were trying to solve in this new study. The other was that both the GE and the CVS studies were done among willing participants. People had to opt in. They had to consent so very clean measurement of effectiveness among willing participants, but not in terms of effectiveness in a broader employee population. And Scott's going to tell us a bit about how we tackled those issues and also took on the challenge of how do we think about this vis-a-vis cigarettes, e-cigarettes, and free pharmacologic therapy in broadening the impact. Yeah, so building on what Kevin said, you know, there are a variety of innovations in this particular study. Probably the most prominent, as Kevin just alluded to, is because 
all we were doing is offering people an opportunity or a series of opportunities to improve their health. There mm -hmm. were very few risks with the study. So we were able to use an opt-out consent mechanism and fewer than 2% of people who were employees at 54 different companies around the United States chose to opt out when they were contacted. So that enabled us to enroll a much larger sample and a much more a broadly representative sample of smokers around the country than prior studies had been able to do. And we wound up with 6,000 people who were smoking at the time of enrollment. Only, as I said, fewer than 2% chose not to participate. Why do you think the low opt-out rate, which I, I find interesting, considering that, that people at times have a tendency to be fearful of doing studies of of having that type of an approach. Yeah, I think part of it was the mechanisms by which they were contacted. So it was a series of email notifications right. and on occasion some text messaging. But in general, uh, people were uh, made aware that these were programs that were going to be offered to them even in the context of the trial. So even among those who participated, that didn't mean that everyone had to use the intervention to which they were assigned. And in fact, only about 20 percent of people across the five different arms of the study chose to engage with the platform that the research was conducted through and use their assigned interventions. So what were those interventions? So we had a usual care arm where we basically just told people that uh, there were benefits of smoking cessation, gave them standard brochures about that, and offered them an opportunity to sign up for a motivational text messaging program. Right. And then the other arms all built on that. So they added, in one case, uh, free nicotine replacement therapy and the two FDA-approved pharmacotherapies for smoking cessation. The next arm offered free e-cigarettes. And then the final two arms is where the incentives come in. Both offered bundles of incentives worth up to $600 uh, if you maintain biochemically confirmed abstinence for up to six months. And then they were offered in two ways in addition to the free nicotine replacement therapy and FDA-approved meds. One was offered as a pure carrot, and the other was offered as what we like to call a virtual stick. So it was a virtual stick in the sense that in contrast to the CVS study, people didn't actually have to put down any of their own money. Right. But we pre-funded an account in their name, making them feel that the money was theirs to be lost if they didn't achieve their smoking cessation milestones. It, it, it seems like from, from looking at this in general, the financial component, which I, I think is an important one, and I have been involved with companies that have brought forth uh, health programs, have you know, working out, and they give you the benefit of uh, of paying for your 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 workout, paying for your uh, your admission to the facility. That the financial component does play a, a huge role in people at least thinking about it and maybe taking that next step forward in the process. Yeah, there's there's certainly a natural tendency most humans have to procrastinate. And particularly uh, an activity like smoking cessation, which is very difficult to do right now in the present because of the physiologic difficulty of quitting, nicotine withdrawal, changing your habits, always much easier to plan to quit next week. Yeah. And what these incentive-type programs sometimes do is they make more salient the future benefits to quitting, and it also gives you some added inducement to try to take those difficult steps now. So how, how much of an impact do you think this research potentially could have with the understanding of 
uh, of what is the most effective route, seemingly. And this was, what, 54 companies, I think it was. So you're talking about a broad range, I'm sure, of companies and different business sectors that you were probably looking at, at as well, correct? Yeah, these companies represented all ma- 11 major sectors of the economy and uh, were of various sizes, uh, really across the spectrum. So I think it's potentially a, a, a very substantial impact, both for what we showed did work and for what we showed didn't work very Mm -hmm. well. So what many companies, in fact, most companies are doing as part of their wellness offerings now are offering free nicotine replacement therapies and perhaps other pharmacotherapies for their employees who smoke. What we showed is that that actually doesn't work uh, among all employees who smoke. And again, that was the sort of the key innovation of this study is by enrolling all smokers. And of course, if you're an employer, you're interested in getting all of your smoking sure. employees to quit, not just those who are motivated. And it turns out if you offer f- free nicotine replacement therapy or free e-cigarettes, that actually doesn't help. And it merely adds to your cost without uh, saving you long-term costs by getting employees to improve their health. By contrast, an early investment in incentivizing cessation actually does triple cessation rates, even among all smokers, um, similar to in the prior CVS and GE studies that Kevin mentioned. But here, what we see is that that tripling effect is maintained both among all employers, uh, I'm sorry, all employees, and in the background where everyone's getting offered free nicotine replacement therapy. So I think those are the sort of the two key findings that uh, employers can now use in redesigning their wellness offerings. And, and for what time frame are we talking about in, in terms of the cessation, in terms of the build out after these pe- people decide, okay, I'm going to try this program? We're we talking six months, 12 months. What, what's that length of period of time that, that, uh, that ended up being part of the, part of the testing? So, so the testing in our study had to be fairly rigorous to meet sort of typical scientific criteria, perhaps more rigorous than an employer would choose to implement as it rolled out the program. So we required that people provide urine or blood samples to confirm chemically that they had no metabolites of nicotine from combustible cigarettes in their system at uh, one month, three months, and six months after the date at which they were supposed to quit. Now, if you're an employer, that's a fairly onerous process to hoist on your employees. And presumably what uh, most employers would choose to do is is some scaled-back version of that. I think it would probably be important to have at least one biochemical confirmation, but but probably three would be overkill for scalable use in in a large employee population. Kevin? Yeah, I think one of the other really interesting findings in this study is we found the cost per quitter was actually lower with incentives than it was with either pharmacologic therapy or e-cigarettes. And the logic Hmm. behind that is pretty simple. The incentives are only paid out if people are successful in quitting smoking, whereas many people are put on pharmacologic therapy and do not succeed. So the employer bears the full cost of that but doesn't necessarily derive any benefit. And as Scott said, one of the interesting elements here is we find that the most commonly taken approach to employee wellness in the context of smoking cessation is to offer free pharmacologic therapy 
that simply offering that doesn't actually have a lot of effect because most people don't do anything. And so one of the other, I think, novel aspects to the study, which is probably part of why this was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, is that the quit rates we publish are much lower than has commonly been shown because Mm. typically what is shown is a pharmaceutical company will do a trial of a drug. They will carefully monitor to make sure everybody in that trial does everything sure. they're supposed to exactly like the yeah. protocol. Yeah. And it's it's a really clean test of efficacy of taking the drug as prescribed. But in reality, what many people do in real world settings, of course, isn't really doesn't really reflect that that well. And what we do here is we look at offering these these pharmacologic aids and then the effectiveness in practice. And when you take out uh, both the fact that most people don't do anything and then probably many people in practice don't do, uh, don't exactly follow the prescribed regimen, the effectiveness is much lower. So the offer itself is actually, it's, it's an incentive. It boosts, boosts the idea of people to potentially be involved, be involved in the first place rather than, as you kind of alluded to, having it to a degree forced down their throat, correct? Yeah, I think the incentive serves a very powerful signaling device to people that this is something that your employer values enough that they're actually going to offer you a financial inducement to do this. It's up to you whether you want to do it. So you can think about this as a uh, nudge of sorts where we're trying to push people with, let's say, moderately strong incentives here. But it's really up to the employee as to whether they want to do it. And you can see that the effectiveness results here are, uh, as I mentioned, the quit rates are much lower than was commonly shown in the literature. Among those who are willing participants who engage with the system, we see a, a maximal quit rate of about 12.5%. So that's much, much higher, roughly triple of what we see uh, in other groups like the e-cigarette group and the pharmacologic therapy group, but it's still far less than 100%. So all of these approaches uh, there, there, there's there's tremendous proof here of, of promise, but still a lot of room for improvement. Well, and I guess to a degree, and, and this is such a, in part, in general, a, a huge conversation that's being had right now in the healthcare sector in terms of the cost that that the company has to incur because of the habits of the people either walking out, you know, outside the office and taking their break and having a cigarette or the smoking that they do in home. And it, it's a huge impact for the company. And it, it, it's something that these companies understand the value in being able to bring these ideas forward and be able to hopefully change the the health outcomes of the people that work in their in their offices. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, the data on how much extra it costs an employer to employ a smoker versus a non-smoker are a little bit all over the map, but at very least, we're talking about a few extra thousand dollars per year to employ a smoker versus a non-smoker. So if you can get even a small proportion of people to quit, yeah. then you're talking about long-term cost savings of a, of a sizable magnitude. I was going to say and, multiply that by even 50 people. Right. So it, it actually suggests a fair bit of wiggle room for further innovation still. You know, we use $600 incentives in this study and that achieved, you know, 
fairly sizable but still modest results. If you're talking about several thousand dollars a year of cost savings, there's obviously ample room to ratchet up that $600 tag and perhaps achieve better results still. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking we should have acknowledged at the outset that the study was funded by the Vitality Institute. And Vitality is a health and wellness incentive company that works with a lot of employers. And in this case, we had 54 employers participating. But the $600 was sort of arrived at uh, based on their sense of here's what we think employers would be willing to pay in terms of incentives. As Scott says, the true economic benefit is much higher. And so it's possible that as data like this comes out, that those differentials between what employers are willing to offer as carrots or or provide as sticks might might grow it, further. It uh, it almost seems to me, listening to how this is developed and how this is playing out, it, it's not truly a version of it, but it almost feels to a degree like the four hundred one k programs that a lot of companies have right now is the fact that the the business is willing to contribute x amount of money. The employee has a benefit that they see at the end, kind of twofold: the financial benefit, but obviously the health benefit as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and those the two paradigms of, you know, the difficulty of stopping smoking now for the future well-being is totally parallel to the feeling of making a sacrifice right now to contribute to your 401k's to have that yeah. nest egg uh, in the future. And that's the, that's why employers have an important role to play whether it be through the use of incentives or other nudges like in the 401k sector they've shown that, you know, just defaulting people to contribute is highly effective and and they really do have a role to play in improving overall well-being among large populations of people. There are some interesting similarities when we think about rationality and what we might expect people to do. So certainly in the retirement savings example, it's very, very clear given the importance of retirement and the ability to save money pre-tax, particularly with an employer match, that everybody should be doing this. But study after study has shown that when default savings rates are set at zero, most people pick zero. When they're 3%, most people pick 3%. So they're literally $100 bills left on the sidewalk. And I I think we could draw an interesting parallel here with what's happening with smoking. The average smoker who smokes a pack of day of cigarettes would save several thousand dollars a year if they just quit on their own. So there's that built-in incentive. And when you factor that in, there's no way that a $600 incentive should have any impact in this population or, if any, impact very small. But yet study after study, we find tripling of smoking cessation rates when someone else is contributing money and saying, here's a lump sum of money right now to help you prioritize doing this today. We, we have about a minute left. I, is, Scott, is there a nec- uh, natural next step in this research that, that you want to take this? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a variety of next steps uh, to go. You know, one is we didn't talk much about the e-cigarettes, but it's worth pointing out uh, that our finding that e-cigarettes didn't promote smoking cessation is very important in light of the ongoing uh, dialogue about the public health pros and cons of e-cigarettes. Yeah. That's a finding that needs to be replicated because um, it has major public health impacts, and it probably ought to be replicated with different types of e-cigarettes. So that's that's one important uh, next step. Another, as we w- were alluding to, is to really find that uh, sort of threshold at which you're optimizing uh, the proportion of pe- with incentives, the 
price tag, the proportion of people that you can get to quit while still maintaining those cost savings for the employer, it's probably considerably higher, as we were saying, than the $600 we tested in this study. So sort of a dose-finding study would be, I think, really important for employers to consider. Great having you both here. Good to see Thanks you, Kevin. For Thank us. you very much. Yeah, Scott, our pleasure. Take great it easy. having you come in. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.